From the podcasting studio in the Reynolds School of Journalism, this is Residual Culture. A media mixtape. I'm Ben Birkenbein. And I'm Joey Lovato. Hi, Joey. How are you today? Doing all right. Great. (laughs) So what do we have on the docket today, my good friend? We are talking about documentaries. Documentaries. That's right. Last week, we both recommended something for the first time. That's true. A residual culture first. We're breaking barriers all over the place. I think. I think this is episode yeah episode four. zero four yeah yeah whatever four. <laughs> yeah um yeah already starting new things okay great so. so let's start off by talking about the recommended documentaries that we gave to one another do you want to talk about the one I gave to you or the one you gave to me I have copious notes okay. about the documentary that you let's gave start to me. with me then okay <laughs> <laughs> all right so you recommended. Uh, we live in public. Yeah. Now I should also say before we begin this conversation, I haven't seen this movie probably, I think I watched it twice when I originally saw it. Cause I was like, wow, that was great. I want to go back and watch more, but I have not seen this movie in probably at least 10 years. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, if the nineties was a documentary, it's this documentary. Well, it was set in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, I mean, it's about the nineties. It's, it's like, it is the quintessential, like even its style of the movie or the documentary and everything, it's very, very 90s. And that's I think that that's like one of its stronger points, actually. Okay. Well, maybe, look, why don't you offer an explanation of what the documentary was about yes. to, the, to the listeners, and then we'll get into some details about, you know. About it. About so it. Uh, there was this tech mogul. I don't remember his name now. Um, I forget his name, too. Yeah. But he he was a dot com kid, so right right in the early, early 90s, he got in on the ground floor, and he started this, um, like, the first... Uh, internet television channel called Pseudo TV, um, and he was kind of this eccentric. He, I think, what was weird is he wanted to be an eccentric, but he was just a nerd. He's he's definitely like off. There's something weird about him. I'm not sure what it is, but he's he's a little bit different. He, I mean, he's definitely got some social issues and stuff. But he he wants to be like this artist, right? But he's just a nerd, <laughs> and so he creates a Pseudo TV. It's very successful and he makes lots of money. And then he just walks away from it, sells it for millions of dollars, and he starts this project called Quiet. And it's basically he gave he like he offered it to a couple hundred people. He made this bunker under these buildings, and you could live there, and everything was given to you for free. Food, living, they had like uh like they had a shooting range in the basement of one of the buildings with like tons of guns, which was totally like illegal. It had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing is that when you live there, uh, one, you're not allowed to leave until the experiment is over. And I think it lasted a month. And two, uh, they film you. Like there are cameras everywhere and everything that they film, they own. Uh, and at first everyone's kind of having a good time. And then it just, it immediately goes like just horribly, like people just start losing their minds. Um, people just start going crazy. Uh, and then from there, he moves on to another project where he films just him and his girlfriend in their apartment. And, it, and that's actually called We Live in Public. Um, and it's it's just kind of, we just kind of watch their relationship fall apart. Uh, and then it just goes like, where where is he now? And he like lives on an apple orchard and he's like, no technology. <laughs> he's to- yeah, totally rejected technology. So that's a, that's like, it's, it's a really dense documentary um, just because there's so much happens, right? But... I liked it. Uh, I thought it was really good. It was, it, I, I, this is twisted maybe, but I really like watching people just kind of spiral into insanity. And actually, I think that's a good point because I think that was his point, right? In designing this kind of like social experiment or whatever that he called, right? And ironically though, you watch him also spiral into insanity, which is the best part. Like he's like, oh, look at all these people going crazy. And then like, 
he became he became the point that he was trying to make. <laughs> Be- because like everyone else around him became part of his own social experiment, which like you know deteriorated his own personal relationships as well as his own life. Yeah, and so yeah, he just totally went off the like bonkers. And actually, I looked up like where where is he now? And he lives in Las Vegas, and he's totally broke. Really? Yeah. We should, we should we should see if we can get him like on or something. That'd be <laughs> oh great. Oh my god, that'd be super cool. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. We'll try it out. We'll yeah. I mean, up. we're close enough. You yeah. Know? Journalism yeah. expertise. Exactly. See what we can do. Seek some people out. Yeah, but uh, so it was it was a it was a good documentary. It was interesting to see like first like this boom of the internet, which I think was really cool, and that was what was super like '90s about it. Also, just the way it was filmed was like lots of like zooming in and like pulling out and like grain filters and vibrant colors lots of layovers on the yeah, exactly. uh, like video layovers yeah, yeah. um and so it, it was definitely like these three or four parts of like watching the success of this guy watching him do this social experiment that was like it had to have been illegal i don't know how he didn't get arrested or anything well didn't um, they i mean i you know not to spoil anything from the documentary but didn't the authorities eventually yeah. come in and bust the thing up yeah, i mean it was new year's day they, yeah it was it was certainly like word got out that this was going on and then they busted this whole thing up and broke it up but I don't I don't think that like any of it like they had like an interview process to get in and there was like a lot of time spent setting it up. So he had to have like, like some sort of business license. It doesn't really get into that. And I'm actually kind of curious. But um, what I think that this does really well is that it it, 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 what it creates like what you think it's going to be and then it changes direction. And I think that that's what documentaries do like a good engaging documentary does that well, because most documentaries are like, here's a sports team and here's what they did. Good job. Or here's an event that happened and then it's over. But it's really cool when you think a documentary is going one way and then it turns to a different direction. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I think that to some degree you're right. Like it, it focuses on the kind of excess of that dot-com bubble, which um, I, I guess this was a this would be a good point to talk about the generational divide. Like do you, yeah. you, you probably have no recollection of the dot-com bubble? Um, no, I think I was, you know, like, three. Right, exactly. <laughs> but like, I'm just saying like, even the aftermath of that, like into the early 2000s, we had the financial crash, right? So like yeah. 1999 up through 2001 was another financial crash. Yeah, I, do, I don't really remember that. The first like major like public event that I remember was the was the Great Recession, as it's called now. Yeah, in 2007. Exactly. So the excesses of the dot com bubble, that's like he was absolutely uh, a product of that, right? Yeah. Like he made millions of dollars, like practically overnight yeah oh yeah right? he became super rich super fast and just i think he like he like bought a lot of his friends kind of you can kind of see that in part of the documentary but that was part and that was part of it i think that that moment in the 90s that kind of like excess and kind of like fast money i think it probably happens to most people i had of course i have no experience with this i've been uh <laughs> living in squalid conditions for quite a while through graduate school uh acquiring lots of debt but you know uh other th- other than that, like that's part of the success, right? Like you want to be better than the next person, right? And that that kind of ideology is still very much part of like startup culture. Yeah. Like just just you know. Well, and that's fail what I was fast. gonna say is like you can yeah. see it now in like the startup culture. Like I don't know if you've ever watched the show Silicon Valley, but yep. uh, it it kind of reminded me of like the first season of that show. Yeah, but real life. But real life, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a show. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think. It hit on all the points that a documentary needs to be interesting, which, again, is I kind of like documentaries with a twist. I think mm-hmm. that that's really what keeps me engaged in something like that. Because otherwise, a lot of times, like, you kind of know what you're getting into when you watch a documentary. Um, but with with these, you kind of, you think you know what you're getting into, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this this got, this derailed very fast. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that in in this case, one of the things that at least I remember really liking about that documentary is the fact that like this guy had a vision, right, for what the internet would become. Yeah, and I think he's not far off. I think in 20 years. <laughs> I mean, certainly there are things that are that are that are not true about it, but I think at the core of it, right, this idea that things will be provided to you for free. But everything that you do, your life, right, your behaviors, your relationships will all be visible to other people. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, in the showers, in the bathrooms, yeah. right? They have cameras everywhere. And then people get this little like bunk bed thing and they have a television where they can tune in to any other location in this compound and watch other people doing whatever, right? So whether they're making love, whether they're going to the bathroom, whether they're shooting off a couple rounds at the firing range, it's like at any moment you could be watched. Yeah. And, and that, they were being watched. And, and they, they have all the footage from this experiment. Exactly. And like that that I think, you know, it's 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 definitely like a dystopian vision of the future for what the internet or what um that type of society would become. Like exaggerated but at the same time i think that the, like the critique at the center of that thing is really trenchant yeah i think it's really interesting and uh i think that is like it's super relevant to today i think that's also important in documentaries is like they need to stay relevant even after they've uh like been like there are documentaries about current events but they can still relate to events in the future and in the past i would also say though that one of the other things i like about documentaries is like even because you were saying this is like a super 90s documentary, it, it also, they can provide a really nice capture of like that slice in time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know? So you can go back and watch a documentary and you're like, oh my gosh, like that is something that, you know, you can kind of get sucked into that world or like what, um, you know, a family's life was like or like life in a, in a rural community in the 1970s, Yeah, right? I'm just thinking of this documentary I watched only recently and it's called... Um, I think it's called Harlan County, West Virginia, or something like that. Harlan okay. County, and it's all about a mining town in the 1970s, and like the 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 kind of struggles between the mining company and the mining workers there, and it is like a harrowing documentary. I think it's like that amazing. I think that also that is unfortunately something that we only get in like quote unquote modern documentaries. I think you if you don't see that pre like fifties, like you don't get a documentary of like a slice of life before the fifties because it wasn't as easily doable. I mean, there are probably are a few out there, but I think you know it's a lot easier to see it from the seventies, eighties, nineties. And I think as we move into the future, people will be able to look back, and those documentaries will be a better time capsule than like you know pre nineteen fifties. Maybe. Although I guess it depends, right? Because like there's another like super famous documentary from like the 1920s or 1919, I forget, but it was produced in the Soviet Union after the Bolshevik Revolution and it's called Man with a Movie Camera. Okay. And so the idea was that we were going to film a man who was filming other like people in the Soviet Union and of course all of them love their jobs. <laughs> it's yeah. like I'm having fun, I'm taking pride in my labor. <laughs> Um, but it, it was kind of like that first, like, it was also like one of these postmodern documentaries to yeah. some degree. Cause it was like, you were filming a guy filming happy Bolsheviks basically. <laughs> so, I mean, it was obviously produced for kind of like a, you know, propaganda purposes. Right. But you still get like what life is apparently like, you know, in that sort of documentary form. 
there are others too. And I like I you know it would be interesting to have someone else on who has a much better understanding of history, like the document the history of documentary as a form. Yeah, I also uh, would like to learn more about like the creation process that goes into some of these. Like when like when are you like yeah, there's a good story here um, too. Yeah, like like you can you like you see a story and like you all of a sudden you see a documentary unfolding in, like in your mind. Right. I think you know it seems to me like there's a there's a combination. Either you get either it's really well planned out. Yeah. Or you kind of get lucky. Yes, you know what I mean? there because, are those documentaries where you get lucky, like Exit Through the Gift Shop. I mean, but some of those are amazing because you're like, someone is there to document this crazy event that, you know, it was one thing, right? Like one, it was just, oh, I'm going to do a slice of life in this little community. And then, you know, someone is shot or, or like, it's yeah. just like a death. And it's like, it just takes a totally different turn. I don't, I don't want to spoil things too much for people that are into podcasts. Well, I, I think that there are podcasts that can be definitely be documentary series. Um, Serial is like the most like downloaded podcast ever, but, um, sure. S town, S town. I exactly. It, I, it's great. I had the same. My I don't, s- I don't want to say anything else about it though, without ruining it. If you well, haven't listened, I guess all we can say, and I think this is fair because this is what someone said to me. My sister told me to listen to it. And then I mentioned to someone that I would be listening to this thing. And they said, okay, well, the cool thing about S town is that it starts off one way. And then like after what, two or three episodes, yeah. it becomes a totally different story. It's not story. anything what you expect it to be. And it's because of luck to an extent. To, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Not, not, not Funny good call, luck. Right. Okay. There we go. It's yeah. not good luck, but it, it, you know, happenstance. Right. Happenstance. Like this total, this thing it's happens. Crazy it, thing it just happens, derails yeah. the original purpose of the podcast. But in in so in doing so, it creates a much more engaging story, which I think is what's important for a documentary. Right. So, talking now, saying that, let's talk about a documentary that doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those profound thoughts we had about documentary, and now we move on to parking lot. Uh, the parking lot movie. Oh, the parking lot movie. And I thought it was I, just like parking lot. No, it's but, just, okay. it's the, park- the parking lot movie. I love this documentary, and it it is it's simple, it's fun. I think it's really funny. Um, it's definitely not as profound as some of the other ones, but I think it kind of wants to be, which I think is what's so good about it. So tell me, Ben, what okay. do you think? Of <laughs> All right. So let me begin by saying, um, so what the documentary is. The documentary is just, uh, it focuses intently on this small parking lot in Charlottesville, Virginia, where they and they they document the lives of the parking lot attendants. Yep. Right. And they are, by their own admission, um, kind of overeducated. What, what, what do they say? They say they're like um, overeducated and underemployed, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, people who work as parking lot attendants, charging people to park in the parking lot. Yeah. Right. And, and it's right behind the University of Virginia. Right. Right. It's right. Apparently right near University of Virginia campus. Um, and so they deal with, you know, drunken frat boys and sorority girls and donors to the university who come and want to park there uh people always challenging the the calculation of their rates in this so kind of thing they, they challenge the 50 cent yeah yeah fee or whatever you have like multi-millionaires most likely anyways yeah. right like you have these big donors who are like oh 50 cents like i don't think so that's unjust you know <laughs> i will not pay these 50 driving cents. a ferrari right yeah they, <laughs> as they drive away in their ferrari so uh, yeah, I would say that, you know, there is definitely kind of a, a heart of gold to this whole thing. And it, it certainly is an entertaining look at the lives of these people. For example, and some of these people, what I liked the most is that they they tell you where these people are now in yeah, their life. Yeah, yeah. One of the guys is the bassist for Yola Tango. Yeah. Right? Like, 
He was there, yeah. uh, and he, you know, he worked as a parking lot attendant. A lot of there. them are musicians, actually. Right. There's musicians. There's also but a lot of philosophy majors. A lot of professors out there yeah. too. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I would say that this. Well, okay. Should I comment more on the connections I made with this, or should I just comment on the on the film itself? Tell me, tell me about both. Start with the film itself, and then we can go to connections. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, so by by the the parking lot attendant's own admission, they are quote unquote too arrogant to succeed in other endeavors, right? Like, like <laughs> which I love. Yeah, so they're railing against big cars, right? Like these. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from this guy, and I wrote down his name: Scott Meigs or Megs, something like that. Okay. So he's got this quote that says, "Maybe you, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> wait. Maybe you just shouldn't have bought your kid that Land Rover." <laughs> Right. And okay. Yeah. Fair point. I, I laughed at that. And, he's, and another phrase of his is that this is what's wrong with the world. You got a sports car with an automatic transmission. <laughs> All right. And then, you know, they go on to say like, you know, we were rulers, we had complete autonomy. We had it, he, we had it all in a world that had nothing to offer us. <laughs> so it's sh- a, a lot of profound quotes for a grossly not profound profession. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And and that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. And so let me let me so let me pivot a little bit now. Well, no, I'll actually connect it to my own life a little bit here. So I used to work as a movie theater. I used to work in a movie theater. Okay. Originally started off behind the concession stand, and we would always find ways to poke fun at customers. And it was like it was you know it was good clean fun. We weren't uh, ridiculing them to their face or anything like that. But you know, for example, like. We got an order one time that came down. And it's like, okay, you can no longer refer to butter, the butter that we put on people's popcorn. <laughs> you can no longer refer to it as butter because it's not butter. <laughs> so you have to now offer people butter, <laughs> butter flavoring, butter flavoring. So we had some fun with this and we said, you know, would you like some butter flavoring with that? Would you like some butter flavoring with that? And I worked with these two, these two brothers actually worked there for a very short time, but they they had this the most dry, like deadpan delivery of this they could do this and i remember working next to this guy at a register and he's like uh yes and would you like some mutton with that i was like wait what did he just say mutton <laughs> you know mut- would you like some mutton on your popcorn and we thought this was hilarious yeah, right we're just yeah. trying to get through the long shift get yeah. through the rush or whatever find some sort of enjoyment or some sort of escape from work which i think is a universal thing right? oh yeah yeah i've worked retail i know this but then but then i remember this one this one customer just kind of likes like i'm sorry did you just ask me if i wanted mutton on my popcorn and it was hilarious i had to like walk away like laughing at that point so anyways with that being said uh we would also then try to enforce like the ropes right we had these velvet ropes when people came oh, out of the yeah, movie yeah. theater and, like, that's because you have the power Be- well because we want to usher them out like so i i sort of graduated from out of the concession stand to become an usher right oh, yeah. and this is where you clean nice. up theaters you you're basically cleaning up theaters changing trashes right all that so it's, it's a it's, glorious it's, job it, it, hey i wore a tux and a bow tie so yes that was <laughs> it was it was fancy um so what we would do is like you know, we set up the ropes like there'd be a huge line waiting to get into some blockbuster movie like Titanic or something like that, right? And we want to we want people to like flow the other way so that they don't create this huge crowd right outside, you know, in the in the relatively thin hallways. And we would set up ropes and then people would just step over them or they would undo the rope and move. And it got to the point where we're just like Oh, ropes are there for a reason. Ropes are there for a reason. You know, ropes are there for a reason. It wasn't like goodbye, have a good night anymore. We were just instructing them in what to do and how to behave. So 
I, I, I use this little tangent to say the following, right? I would never denigrate people for doing service work. Yeah. Right. And, and and I'm all for people trying to make their f- job fun, no matter what you're doing. Right. Trying to find an escape from work is the hallmark of people throughout history. Yeah. Right? Like nobody really. I mean, hopefully you love your work, all that stuff. Uh, but most often people want to escape from yeah. work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but my impression is that these guys are a little disillusioned. <laughs> okay. A little. It, Just a because, little bit. <laughs> because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Th- you know, they have all these phrases in the documentary and they're they're kind of lauding the egalitarianism of being a parking lot attendant. Yeah. The fact that there's this kind of like, quote unquote, decentralized structure. Each one of them takes pride in sort of being an owner manager of this thing. But at the same time, if you think about what they're doing, they're banking on the privatization of public space. And, they're, and, and not only that, but they're also like... Um, you know, they're basically just punishing people, right? Uh, for they're, they're, You know, they use this phrase, oh, we are the arbiters of human decency, right? <laughs> when really what they're trying to do is they're trying to enforce submission and compliance to these rules, right? Now, granted, I, you know, certainly the, the owner of this public space, right, has the right, right? Because he owns the land. Yeah. He's basically charging people rent to be there. But for me, there's this contradiction, right? They bemoan consumer culture. You know, if you have a right, if you have money, you have the right to get whatever you, money can buy you. Um, uh, they're denigrating others who they think move among the people, but they, but like they really don't. Um, you know, they're just. Uh, so I, I guess I'm just saying, like, you know, they're kind of. They also have this thing of like they're doing nothing and getting paid for it, and they have this sort of like notion of justice that they're doing this, but. It's just this fundamental conflict at the center of this whole thing that is like, um, it 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 was like troubling me as I watched the documentary. Yeah, okay, I can see that. They have this. There's here's another quote, right? And this is exactly how I felt. I gotta, I gotta start taking notes when I watch movies that you recommend. Well, I feel like you've I, come much more prepared than I. I, I had to today. <laughs> I just had to today because I was watching this and I'm like, no, let me rewind that. Like I need to get that quote down because, and here's here's this kind of sums it up. There's this quote and he says, um, okay. We had these like notions of being all-powerful creator or destroyer gods, administers of justice, but you eventually realize it's just punitive justice. And that's exactly right. You're just punishing people for not behaving the way that you want them to. And, you know, if I may, there's actually an element of fascism there. Which I know you you love talking about. What do you mean? that? What is that supposed to mean? I don't love this. I mean... I would critique fascism. Well, I, yeah, but, well, I like, you like talking about like government structures. But I was in class this week. I remember. Oh yeah, we, we yes, I was in economics. We gave a little um, differences between economic approaches and all that stuff. <laughs> it was a good time. Um, yeah. So, anyways, I guess I, I'll, I won't go into more notes. I don't have too many other notes than that. But I just thought that there was this tension at the whole thing, and I'm like, you know, these guys. Like, maybe I was one of them at one point, but then I realized better. You yeah, well, I, mean? I think that that's the thing is like these guys think that they are they know a lot, but they're all still young. And I, I mean, coming from a 23 year old to other 23 year olds, right? <laughs> sure. Like they think they know everything, but they don't. And like, I feel like I can, you know, tell you a lot about things, but I always just try to recognize that I don't know everything, which in itself is like a stupid thing to try to feel because I like like not that I'm better than anyone else. Which uh, and, you know, we don't have to talk about this now because it's kind of off the docket. But I think one of the other better um sort of expressions of this was Noah Baumbach's first movie called Kicking and Screaming. You mean with Will Ferrell? 
No, not so. Yeah, there's also <laughs> Kicking and Screaming the Will Ferrell like that's the soccer only, that's comedy. That's the only one that I know. <laughs> no, there is a movie of the same title, Kicking and Screaming, but it's about these. I believe you know they're they're like these students that don't know what to do, and then they eventually go into graduate school at the same university. Okay, and they still hang out at the same bar. And they're doing, it, but it's in a. Maybe I'll recommend that eventually. Okay. We'll, I'll, I'll be sure to jot that down because it's a good one, and it will remind. It reminded me a little bit of this, but it's just kind of like, what do we do? We got this great education, and they kind of take pride in their underachievement. Yeah. Which which yeah. is is absolutely something that I can get behind. I think people love yeah taking pride in both thinking they've achieved more than they have, and then also acting like they haven't achieved enough. There's taking some, pride in that. There is something refreshing about feeling like you're better than someone else. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's what these guys are getting off on. Yeah. Right? They're oh, like, yeah, for sure. They're like, my life, like, I've got it together, you know? And But they realize they stand in a position where other people are just going to look down on them. Yeah. And they're trying to give some sort of, like, bring some sort of dignity and respect to the profession. Again, would never denigrate that. I would never criticize people for doing that. Um and I do think that some of the critiques were were actually pretty nice because they do like you know like there's this woman who who is really arguing about oh yeah 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 and you know she's just like are, you know are you kidding me and she's like you're you know she gets vulgar with them and oh, it's yeah. like you're just a parking lot attendant like nice life dude you know and it's like yeah no that you know you deserve to run after that woman's SUV and yeah. kick it right they do they do at one point one of them talks about how he threw a wrench through a window. Yeah. And then he was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> it was a moment of realization. He's like, wait, do I really care that much? Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll summarize my take. Or not my take, but I'll just I'll kind of wrap this up on a high note and say that there is a really another really good quote that I wrote down here. And it just says, all human beings deserve uh, are deserving of respect and dignity. And when I don't see that, it pisses me off. Yeah. And I think that's... F- like, this movie is full of great quotes, yeah. but like I feel like they're they're only great out of context because when they're in context, it's almost absurd, which is what makes the movie so good. Right. Um, right. So yeah, that's those are two the two documentaries we talked about, like that we recommended, but um, they reminded me of a lot of other ones that I wanted to touch on. All right. Let's so um, that we live in public because it had that twist. It kind of made me think of other documentaries that I really like and why I like them, and it is because of that twist. And one of those is uh, the Imposter. Have you ever heard of The Imposter? Yeah, maybe. Okay, I'm going to spoil it, so just be forewarned. Okay. All right. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it is about a boy who is kidnapped, uh, and, oh no, he just, he disappears uh, when he, when he's like seven or eight, and then like five years later, he shows, from Texas, he disappears from Texas when he's like seven or eight. Five years later, he shows up in Spain, hmm. like in like a phone booth, turns out not the kid it's a guy pretending to be this family's kid so that he can come to america and like get Hmm. off the streets Hmm. but he's kind of just like a psychopath but he looks nothing like their son he has brown hair their son was like blonde he has blue eyes or he has brown eyes the son had blue eyes he has a spanish accent he doesn't speak english well but the family takes him in anyways and acts like they're like that this guy is their son and at first you're just like this family's in denial like, this guy's crazy and is taking advantage of his family, mm-hmm. and this family is in denial about it. And then the twist at the very end is, and there's no proof of this, but it, it heavily alludes to it. And I personally, after doing other research, tend to lean on this side. It looks like the family murdered the son. Hmm. <laughs> 
as pa- you do. Pause, pause for mind <laughs> explosion. For mind, uh, yes. So that, it looks like this family murdered this kid, or he died and they hid it, and then to like like their own son, not the imposter. Their own kid. son. Okay. And then they yeah. took this imposter guy in, who was also like ten years older. He was like seventeen, and the kid should have been like twelve. It's like totally weird. Um, it's super, super interesting. It's interesting because I, even though you've just provided a spoiler for this whole documentary, yes. I want to know more. Yeah, exactly. You want to watch it and you want to know like why. Um, but that twist ending is really what makes this documentary so gripping and so like impactful for me. Hmm. Um, that one also, Exit Through the Gift Shop, is really cool because you watch this guy who wants to make a documentary about Banksy. And in, in doing so, he just kind of spirals into insanity. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, I have seen that one. Um, but you you have a few that you feel like really take the genre and like why it grabs you? Well, yeah. I mean, one, one of them, uh, so there's a bunch, but I would just say uh, as a as a whole, like the, the documentaries of Errol Morris are quite good. Uh, Errol Morris did, um, well, a lot of notable documentaries, but uh, including The Fog of War, which yeah. is actually quite good. Um, the one that I'm thinking about right now, when you were talking about the kind of twist, is the Thin Blue Line. Oh yeah, the Thin Blue Line is very good. Which in I that's about that's about police, right? Yeah, yeah, it's about this uh, this crime also in Texas that occurs, and um, but the thing there is that, and I have to look this up, but I I think that um, that documentary was one of the first documentaries or like first films to be admitted as evidence uh, in trying to reverse a court's decision. Yeah. Because at the end, uh, I'm, you know, I guess we're, this is like <laughs> the episode of spoilers, but yeah. <laughs> I'll just say this. I, I'll just say this. At the end, like you, you get, you kind of get drawn into this whole story of this, this murder, right? I, I actually forget the details of it's, I haven't seen the murder or this, this crime, but anyways, um, and it comes down to whether or not it's like one guy or somebody else. Like somebody's convicted or it's someone else. And then it kind of builds this mystery. And then at the end, if I remember correctly, again, it's been a while, there's just sort of like fade to black. And then the new scene is just one of those like tape recorders, like, yeah. like that you would record like on an answering machine. Yeah, old right? school answering machine. And all it is, is, you know, like the, the filmmaker just plays the voicemail message that was left on his machine of someone, and it's pract- It's basically an admission of guilt from someone who was not convicted. It's just it's stunning, right? Yeah, it's stunning that this person would leave that as a voicemail message, right? <laughs> and so I'll just say that because I won't say what wh- happened, which one or who it is, because honestly I can't remember their names or anything like <laughs> that. But but that's another documentary where it's just like you watch it, and then I had to rewind it and listen to the thing again, and I'm like, did that? Did that did that really just happen? Like uh, like that's that's stunning, right? Well, and that's what documentaries the thing is like I mean when you get down to it what what makes them so interesting is it's real life. It's real. It's not, you know, it's not a movie, it's not a script. It's something that actually happened. And sometimes and, and this is really cheesy to say, but sometimes real life can be like crazier than movies, you know? Like you can't write that, right? Absolutely. I just gave this I talked to this um in my my introductory lecture for freshmen, you know, I got 170 students or 150 students this semester. And it's, you know, the it the basically with you know, the danger is that a professor goes into his lecture right now, but all I was trying to do is to get them to see like to be interested in the world and start asking questions, you yeah. know, because that's kind of like the seed of like what makes a good journalist, like go out and ask questions, figure out what's going on in life and I just said like 
you understand that like the world is a pretty interesting place, right? So if you're not interested, like get interested. Yeah. Well, and I think documentaries are a great example of like when someone gets interested. <laughs> yeah, they get interested and then there's this amazing stuff. I will also say that, and I forget the name, I'll have to look up the name of this documentary. This is like where I'm not prepared. This is where Professor goes off off script. <laughs> um, but there is this, there was this amazing documentary done about, um, I believe it's a, it's like a holiday in China, which is actually one of the largest human migrations that takes place on the planet. And it's an annual occurrence. Okay. So that like there are families that are basically apart and the one time they get to see each other is at this oh, holiday. Yeah. Okay. And so there's like there's like, you know, millions of people that migrate home for this holiday. And if I'm if I'm not conflating two different documentaries, there is a scene in this documentary where the the documentary filmmaker is there for this incredibly intense breakdown in this family's like at the dinner table. Oh, wow. And it gets so real. Like they turn directly to the camera and say like, is this what you wanted? Like, you know, I hope you're happy. You know, like this is what you've done to us. And like, it's this really, I mean, it's, uh, uh, I'm, you know, it's, it's an insane and, and like, but, but really authentic glimpse into not only what the family is going through, but then like consciously saying, yeah, you people who are out there watching this documentary, are you entertained? Yeah. Like, are you not entertained? It's right? almost like, it's not saying that there's a problem, but it's saying like, do you see the problem? Like, do you see Well, it? and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not even that. It's like, like you've come, like we, we're going through this. For your and now, entertainment. And now you've come in here and, you know, are you taking pleasure in our suffering? Which is, it is always a weird thing, right? To watch a documentary on war, especially, I think, because like, you watch it, maybe not necessarily to enjoy it, but you usually do, right? It's in, it's entertaining. It's engaging. You're interested in the event. That's why you're watching the documentary. And that in itself has this really weird, like, existential crisis moment where you're like, I'm being entertained because these people went to war, right? Sure. Uh, I watched this. Uh, Restrepo is a really good documentary on um, the war in Afghanistan. And, like, it's really real and it's really interesting. But at the same time, like, there is a, there's like a couple scenes where, like, people die. And mm -hmm. you kind of realize, like, I'm watching this because it's interesting, and but I don't get the luxury of like, I, I get I get the luxury of doing that. But these people like died for it, and like, it's a really weird, weird moment. Yeah. Um. And I think that is something that makes documentaries super unique, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that that that's one of the other things, which is also, by the way, I mean, it. This is a somewhat awkward transition, but you know, from like you know, being a witness to the horrors of war. Um, what that also does then is it opens itself up for tinkering with the form of documentary a little bit. That's where I, this is a strange transition. But I'm just thinking of like, because there was this documentary called, it's a French documentary called Man Bites Dog. Oh yeah, I know this documentary. And <laughs> But it's actually a mockumentary. Yes, yeah. But I didn't realize that the first time I watched it. And so... So the idea of Man Bites Dog is that it's this documentary crew who's falling around like a serial killer, right? Yeah. And there are these like crimes being committed and I had to stop it. The first, I was like, I can't watch, this is too disturbing. Like I can't watch this, this dude like create, you know, basically uh, commit heinous crimes. And then these people are documenting it and being okay with this, right? Yeah. And then I, well, then there's a whole other story about that movie. 
Uh, I still don't know that I've actually finished that movie because it is pretty upsetting. It, it's upsetting, but then you re- then you're like, wait, it's it's not real. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, the whole mockumentary thing. I think that's like, a whole episode in itself. That's a whole episode. We could talk Christopher you, Guest. You, and, oh, I love Christopher Guest. Yeah. And uh, have you ever seen They Live in the Shadows? We Live in the Shadows. Yes. Yeah. That's the, a good one. Yeah, about the, the vampires. Vampires. Yes, exactly. Well, I think that was a pretty good discussion about documentaries. Pretty good run. All right. Now we're gonna go watch a uh, we're gonna watch a trailer, and we'll be right back. We're back. We are back. We have just watched a trailer for an upcoming HBO documentary called Andre the Giant, and about Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. Yeah, uh, it looks really good. It looks really. Int- I, I don't. I'm not really into wrestling or fake wrestling, but that is very interesting because Andre the Giant is an anomaly of a human. He's a very large human being, and let me just say that that preview. That little trailer we just watched just uh, took me back to my childhood. Yeah. Because I very much grew up watching WWF wrestling every Saturday morning at my grandmother's house with my cousins, setting up fake, you know, WWF rings, (laughs) taking on the personality of various wrestlers, attending a live WWF event with oh, my yeah? father when I was young. And I remember these two these two drunk guys in front of me, like, flicking off the ring, be like, yeah, F you, uh, blah, blah, blah. My dad's like, excuse me, guys, like, my seven-year-old son's trying to watch the event here. And they turn around, they're like, oh, sorry, man. You know, and they, they tried to, like, befriend <laughs> me. And I had no frame of reference for what was going on. <laughs> All I knew is that I want, I just wanted to see Macho Man Randy Savage. But yeah. sorry, I just took a trip down memory <laughs> yeah, lane. Yeah, I, watched, I watched you just look off into the distance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, back to the docu- documentary. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks really interesting because it is like, it, I think it is kind of a sad story almost. Andre the Giant. Yeah, certainly he's a much more complicated character. And I think that they made, if I remember correctly, like an e-true Hollywood story about Andre the Giant, which was one of the better episodes, just kind of glimpse into his life. And that was the first time I learned about all the other stuff like outside of the wrestling ring that was going on in his life. And that documentary looks very much like that's what it's going to be. Um, he struggled with drinking, um, his size. I mean, he was kind of deteriorating. And yeah. He, I mean, well, when you're that big, you're not going to live that long. Exactly. And was in a lot of pain and, um, yeah, pretty, pretty epic, but he is a giant man. And, um, yeah, it looks great. Yeah. It looks really interesting. I, I, like I said, I'm not interested in, uh, WWF, stuff but uh i would watch that i definitely would actually watch that because it's just it's fascinating coincidentally by the way um so vince mcmahon who's the owner of what was wwf and now wwe okay i believe has like sold his stake in wwe and has now reinvested his fortune in the xfl which was this very short-lived alternative to the nfl the national football league (laughs) um what yeah yeah that's really strange and so i have like different theories about what that's going to turn into is this still happening today that like literally just happened so they're going to reboot the xfl oh um okay (laughs) you know it's like the extreme football league (laughs) oh my god is that actually what it is i don't i think it is that's so dumb but they have like they allowed players to have different names like you know you just develop their own names so it wasn't you know it's like what it's not like bury the duck yeah it's well more like he hate me oh was like the the kind of flagship 
a guy like he had his name he hate me okay yep all right. Well, uh, so that was the the, the trailer, uh, and I don't have a recommendation for you this week, but you have one for me. Sure. Yeah. Um, did we did did I decide which way I'm going to go? I think we're going to go back to um, movies. Movies. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think just in the in the in the interest of continuing on our discussion of you know the role of media in society, that kind of stuff, I think I'm going to go ahead and say you should watch. Um, the movie Network. Okay, Network. Network from 1976. All right. Uh, and it's just about the media in society, right? <laughs> it is, but it, it's actually, you know, I've, I've, I've actually toyed with the idea of assigning this in classes because I think it's, it's highly relevant. So it takes place at a, at a moment when a network is trying to, deter, they're trying to figure out how to get better ratings. And so what oh, they do is okay, they, okay. they turn to more of a, reality style television oh okay cool yeah like kind of like uh the truman show maybe or something like that yeah uh but better. a little bit okay <laughs> yeah, the truman show is a good movie i yeah, like that movie but network is up there it's it's i mean i think it was nominated for best picture in 1976 okay only to lose out to what like rocky or something <laughs> probably yeah uh okay well so next week is network uh so you can follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at residual culture podcast you can also email us at residualculturepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Joey Lovato. And I'm Ben Birkenbein. Thank you so much for listening to this week. See you next week. Yeah.